wheel of time turns, and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten, when the age that gives it birth comes again, the eye of the world. Some men choose to see greatness, while others are forced to it. It is always better to choose than to be forced. A man who is forced is never completely his own master. He must dance on the strings of those who forced him. Hello Cryptic fans, the best community online since the beginning of time. Welcome back to another episode of the author's journey with your very humble friend, Gary Khan. Crafting a masterful plot escapes even the most accomplished authors at the best of times. One need only look to the poverty of plot in Hollywood scripts to determine how lacking this skill is. This episode aims to remedy that. If you believe yourself a master, perhaps you need the lessons this episode teaches more than others. Master storytellers have one thing in common. They have mastered plot. You could be a master too. First we look at some important distinctions between story and plot, and then we look at the elements of plot. And lastly, we study the plot of the Wheel of Time Book 1, Eye of the World. What a treat. There's many lessons we can learn from studying a master like Robert Jordan. So what's the difference between story and plot? Story is a series of events recorded in chronological order, while plot is a series of events arranged deliberately to reveal their dramatic, thematic, and emotional significance. Your plot is what the readers follow in your book, because you have arranged it in a way that best tells the story. Here's a pro tip. First draft your story in chronological order from start to finish, and once complete, draft your plot by rearranging the order of events. For example, you could start your story in medias res, that's Latin for into the middle of things, where you start your story literally in the middle. This is usually an action scene that draws the reader in before slowing things down in a flashback to the beginning of everything. If you're a master, you can play around with this different type of starting and ending and twisting of the plot, but you get that with a little bit more experience. What I've done to develop my skill set is take old childhood stories and fairy tales and rearrange them in their chronological story parts and then take that different chunks and put them into the various slots of plot just to experiment what the different variations do to the actual plot itself. It's a magnificent exercise to conduct and one I highly recommend that you practice and try out just to help you get to grips with the difference between plot and story. Now if I had to simplify it, Plot is made up of a defined structure, which you can think of as slots. You carve up your story into slot-sized chunks, 
and then drop them into the structure of plot, which is typically static. Interestingly, you can change the emphasis of a novel by changing the sequence in which you tell the story. That's really what plot is in its basic elements. Now, what is plot made up of? What are those slots that we have that we call this magical thing called plot? Well, there's specific names to different slots. The most basic that all of us studied is introduction, beginning, whatever you want to call it, the middle, and the end. Those are the logical general slots of any story. In the beginning, then this happened, the end, right? However, in more complicated, more theoretical literature, we actually have the slots called different things. And so here are the names of the slots and what they each entail. The first slot is the introduction or the exposition. It's the beginning. You introduce your setting, your characters, the main conflicts, and the driving motivations that propel all the characters in the story forward towards some kind of goal. Then you have the inciting incident. This is a significant event which occurs and changes the characters forever, forcing him or her to embark on a journey towards the specific goal. Then you have the rising action. This could be broken down into further slots, and in future episodes I will break down those slots for you so we can see what that entails. But really, your story moves forward in this part. It builds up to something. There's various complications that arise along the way to the goal. It increases the intensity of the conflicts and everything builds up to the main event. And then there's the climax, the final battle, the big showdown, or the major self-discovery in the moment to which the entire story was building. This is your punchline, your main point, where you have the most action, the most drama, the most change, or the most excitement. After that, you've got the falling action. It's the wind-down where things start to settle post-climax and your characters, the world, and everything is forever changed in some way. The story slows down and you begin to tie up your loose ends and allow readers to reflect on all the events and absorb and internalize the lessons learned from the story. Then lastly, you have your resolution or denouement if you want to be sounding very fancy and academic. This is your final statement that fits across multiple characters, chapters, pages, paragraphs, or lines, however you want to use it, and it wraps up your story. The characters resolve all their remaining issues. The story ends. Alternatively, you can leave a little bit of a gap allowing you to continue the story, either in another book or in another part, etc., especially if it's part of a bigger series. Now that is the structure of plot. Interestingly enough, you can have plots within the plot. Those are called subplots. You have the main plot, the main driving force of the story. I'm going from A to B. There's a hero. He gets something happens to him, inciting event. He has to journey along. He builds up the skills and trains to fight the big bad wolf or bad character, whatever it is. He has that final battle. The story ends. And uh, he's learned a big lesson about himself and about fighting and about the battle. And he shares that with the audience. And then he lives happily ever after. The end or denouement. Right? 
Now, in all of that, you could have a subplot. And usually there's something like a romantic subplot. That's where the character along the main storyline falls in love. And there's chapters or paragraphs or pages, whatever it is, where the character deviates from the main story to fall in love, to, to build on that. He has that whirlwind romance and relationship. And that will also follow a start, middle, and end, much like we've structured the main plot, except what you have to do when you're tying up all your different issues, you have to make sure all your subplots come to their logical conclusion as well before your main plot comes to its conclusion. Now, that's unless you have a series, in which case, across the broad spectrum of the series, you can tie up the plot when and where you want to or and tie up the subplots in line with that. So if you have five books, your subplot for the romantic portion could tie up in the fourth book, for example, or in the last book, or in the last scene of the last book, whatever it is. And that's really how that works. Those are subplots. Okay. Then you can have plots fitting into bigger plots. So entire books in a bigger series would be considered subplots. So book one will have a start and a finish point. It'll have an introduction or exposition, and it will have a resolution and annulment all the way through. There has to be a logical conclusion. Even if you're going to leave a little bit of a gap, there's got to be some kind of finishing off of that particular part of the story, and then you would move on to your next plot, if it were. But that all fits within the broader sense, part of the bigger plot. So again, if you had five books, you could have book one and two being part of your introduction and exposition, etc. You get the idea. Man, I just find plots so interesting. Aren't you having an interesting time analyzing this? Now, let's move on to our case study. The Wheel of Time, book one, the eye of the world. And what can we glean? How has Robert Jordan used plots to masterfully tell his story? Let's take a look. Now, before I continue, just a warning, spoiler alert, all right? But lucky for you, there are 14 books. So this spoiler alert only spoils the beginning or the exposition, as they would say. So not to worry too much, but you're going to want to read the book and then listen to this podcast so we can unpack how Robert Jordan has done this and learn from it. So the introduction or exposition starts with the dark one, an evil overlord with magical abilities who can draw on what's called the one power or magic he defeats theron telamon a hero who's named the dragon who has had enough power to try and push back and and rebel against the dark one's powers now he is defeated but in his last dying attempt he uses the male half of magic to try and fight back with the dark one However, the Dark One has corrupted the male half of magic and he uses this power to make men mad. The dragon and his hundred companions of other magic-wielding individuals who wield this power, the One Power, all go insane and they begin to start tearing the world apart, which is the Dark One's evil plan. The dragon uses his powers in the last ploy where he gains a bit of sanity and he destroys the dark one in a last final attempt and immolates himself completely setting a change into the new world this weakens the dark one enough for other forces to come in and imprison him skip a hundred or so couple of years centuries centuries pass and we are introduced to randall thor and his father tam 
who are heading back into the village from their farm. They live in a very small part of the nation in the north, and we are introduced to Ran, to Matt, and Awen, and Perrin, and Ninaive, and Egwene, all of his friends and the kids in the village that he's grown up with. We get to see their character, we get to see village life, we get to see what their relationships are. We see that Rand has a little bit of a thing with Egwene and is possibly betrothed to her. We see all of this come into play. And yet, to make it interesting, strangers arrive at the village, a man and a woman. The man is named Lan and the woman Moraine. We hear of another false dragon who called the Dragon Reborn who can use the male half of the magic. He's risen up in the different parts of the country and we hear that Asadai, women who can use the female half of magic or the one power, have been deployed to put down the rebellion to prevent those men going mad and tearing the world apart as has been done in the history books. So already, just from those paragraphs, you can see a good introduction to the world. We've met the characters, we've met the, 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 the big dark forces and good forces. We see there's a chosen one narrative and story arc happening here as well that's come into play. And we see the the innocent villagers, the friends from the village, and they're gonna have an important part in this story as we as we introduce to them. Right. Now we move on to the exciting, inciting event. Trollocs, which are orc-like creatures, attack Rand and his father in, in their home. Um the father, Tam gets wounded in the battle and Rand finds out as he's dragging his father back to the village painstakingly that he's adopted. Rand seeks out Moraine, the Asadai who's visiting the village at the time and asks that she heals her, his father. She agrees and they go back to the inn where the father's located. Rand, Matt and Perrin find out that one of them has something that the Dark One fears and because of that the Dark One who's trapped in a prison of magical power, has dispatched his evil forces to kill them. Right? Just to be safe. Now Rand met Perrin, Egwene, Ninaive, leave with Lan and Moraine, who promised to help them escape the clutches of the Dark One. There's a heartfelt goodbye as we have a sense of the previous life being forever different. There's no way these guys can go back to living normal village life because the Dark One wants to kill them. They've got to flee to safety. Tom, the gleeman or the traveling storyteller who's visited the village and borne a lot of the news about the dragon reborn, decides to travel with them. Now, let's look at the rising action. And again, the rising action can be broken down into a lot of different parts and will be the bulk of the book. So this is where you want to focus on how you convey the rising action very well. But in the Wheel of Time, we see the group of friends journey across the nation to safety while the forces of evil intercept them at every turn and attack them as they continue to flee. Egwene and Naive begin being taught respectively how to wield the female side of the one power because the Asadai Moraine um, is able to see that both can wield the power. Rand discovers the prophecy of the dragon and the dragon reborn that will come and is told by Tom about this. They also note that there's a sword that cannot be touched at the center of an iron fortress called the Stone. It's in a city called Tyr. And the key is that the person who can wield that sword once it's been done, and only the Dragon Reborn can wield it, will it show that the man doing that is indeed the Dragon Reborn. 
and currently the false dragon or the so-called false dragon who's causing up a stir in the other part of the nation is heading with his army to go and fight at this place called Tyr. So that's where they're busy headed. So they're saying, okay, let's stay clear of all that drama. We don't want to be involved. So we discover as different events occur and the friends get into trouble as they're being consistently attacked by the evil forces, that Ran has the ability to channel the male half of the one power. That's one step closer to him possibly someone being someone very important as well in the story. So there's various journeying across this nation and we go to different cities and again a little bit of exposition comes in here where we introduce to different characters, different factions. We introduce to the White Cloaks, to the rest of the Asadai community, to the Children of Light. And man, I wish there was enough time to do a five-hour podcast where I could explain what all of these different factions bring to the mix. But Robert Jordan has masterfully weaved a world where there's so many conflicting political parties trying to vie for conflicting goals. It's amazing. In any case, we build up to the climax where Rand and his company are led into a trap. And to escape the trap, they are forced into a funny position where the forces of evil uh, ambush them. And now being confronted by one of the Dark One's male acolytes, Agenor. They enter into a battle and Rand somehow teleports to Tarwin Gap in the middle of this wild and vicious battle in time to land in front of an orc army that is heading to destroy the world. Now he summons up the one power and taps into that dark corrupted power and uses it against those evil forces. So he taps into evil to attack evil and obliterates the army. The dark one reaches out to him and speaks to Rand, invites him in to become part of his evil army as a male acolyte. There's a special group, right? And he says, join me into this Join me with in, 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 this, in this evil adventure. But Rand refuses. And so the Dark One sends another acolyte after Rand has just beat one of them. And this guy's name is Ishi. And Ishi arrives and they fight using beams of darkness and beams of light. Rand's sword is infused with the light and they're attacking and fighting one another. And in a miraculous feat, Rand shoots a beam of light into Ishi's heart, killing him and thereby calming everything down. Now, the poor friends were grappling with everything while this was going on and, and realizing, geez, look at this guy's power. What's going on? And we enter into the falling action. Rand goes back to check on his friends and he finds out everyone's okay after the great battle. And he manages to find in the eye the horn and the dragon banner, symbols of the dragon reborn. Now, they take those things along with them and they return to the local city, Faldara. The resolution or denouement. Lan and Rand are practicing sword fighting because Lan is now showing Rand how to go about doing this and master himself and his skills. While Moraine eavesdrops on the final words um, that they share between them and she says and ends the book with this little statement and little teaser for what's to come. The dragon is reborn, pointing to Rand being the true dragon reborn. Now along the journey there are several plot twists, there are subplots and plots within a larger plot because this is just the beginning of a 14 book series. So as you can see 
there's a overarching chronological story starting with the dark lord in the past and there's things that happened before that so when we first see that introduction to the dark lord defeating um Luz Theron, we realize that that's actually in medias res because there's a part to that before that and in later books 8 9 10 we get glimpses into the past before the dragon the original dragon was defeated so so well done so well put together there's so much we can learn from that but let's summarize plot is the structure into which you fit your story it has to have all the elements of plot but can have subplots plot twists and can be part of a bigger plot there's a lot you can gain from studying masterful plots like robert jordan's wheel of time you take your story write it out chronologically cut it up into bite-sized chunks take those chunks and rearrange it into your slots in a way that best tells the story that creates that drama that brings the the dramatic and the impactful forward so that you have different focuses so what you start with is what you're going to capture your audience is what you tell them is important so robert jordan as what he's done has started off with the big battle between the thematic dragon and the thematic dark one the age-old good versus evil battle and that's it for this week i hope you've enjoyed this episode if you have please subscribe to join the cryptic community again as i said before the most awesome people on the planet the most magnificent writers and aspiring authors who share and cultivate one another's craft you want to be a part of it because that is what we do we just write the shit out of things that's it from me i thank you very much best of luck with your writing and as the icelandic people say bless <laughs>